Welcome to the Gospel Journey Podcast. The Gospel Journey exists to help our people get into discipleship relationships that are centered on God's Word and led by His Spirit. Today we are in week 10 of Path 8, the book of Hebrews. We'll be in chapter 13. My name is Jamie Trussell, and I'm again joined by Steve Winstead. Steve, thanks for being with us another week. Yeah, good to be here again. All right, we are headed home the last uh, week here of this Gospel Journey. And chapter 13 is a continuation of really the final point made in chapter 12, where it hinges on verse 20. It says, let us offer to God acceptable worship. Uh, uh, Just a quick word on worship. Uh, Many times we can get the idea that worship happens solely on Sunday morning, solely when we're singing. And that is a form of worship. Oftentimes in the New Testament, worship takes on the idea, it's, it's a continually submitted lifestyle to God. So what does acceptable worship look like? Well, I think he starts to describe that in verse 1 of chapter 13. These are the practical mm-hmm. ways that a lifestyle of acceptable worship is fleshed out before God. And the first thing he says is, let brotherly love continue. Yeah, chapter 13 gets highly practical, and it uh, gives us some very clear practical things what we have to be cautious with if you start with 13 without the previous 12 chapters really built and understanding Mm. the clarity of christ and who he is and the gospel uh this chapter can be taken in some some ways that may be unhealthy Mm. but understand what's built upon we start off in a beautiful spot he says let brotherly love continue and that is when love of christ fades brotherly love fades as well Mm. And so often when you see a church where uh, people aren't loving each other well, it really gets to how are they loving Christ? Because those two go hand in hand. They're synonymous. So much, uh, there's so much, Jesus talks about that in Matthew 22. We see John talk about that in 1 John chapter 4. These ideas are over and over again that brotherly love and, uh, and love of Christ, they go together. So he's encouraging let brotherly love continue, and then he's going to show you uh, mm. what that brotherly love looks like. So you're going, hey, t- tell me what it looks like. And he's speaking to his audience. So there's a couple things in here we're going to go, yeah, we're, we may not ever experience that exact thing. So like if you jump down to verse 3, he says, remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them. Now he's speaking to people in prison for their faith. That's right. So it's a it's a very specific thing. But where we take from that is if you're in prison in the Roman Empire, who feeds you? It it wasn't the prison guards. They they it was people brought you food from the outside. Mm. You were often taken care of by other people. You needed that to survive in prison. So here, remember those who are in prison, go take care of them, meet needs. This is some basic call for loving the brother who is in need and who is in crisis. So while uh, I I venture to say most of us probably will not experience uh, brothers and sisters who are in prison, we may, uh, all of us experience brothers and sisters who are in need and need someone to come meet those basic needs. And that's really what this is a call to is a high level of maybe we call it hospitality, a high level of really loving a person in that way. Well, and I love the fact that just in verses one and two here, you actually get acceptable worship to God fleshing out uh, really both inside and outside the church. Because I, I, I take verse 1 of chapter 13, brotherly love, uh, to largely, that's Christian to Christian. Yes. That's brother and sister in the faith. That is, uh, we could say here in our our 
you know, specific context, we could say uh, church members or however we want to mm-hmm. phrase that here in our harvest context. That's Christian Christian love. But then he goes straight to verse two, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. Like there is this idea that apparently people that they don't know that well are coming either in and out or they're at their, when they gather together, there are people there that they don't know, maybe people they've never seen before. And he says, hey, by the way, just because you don't know them well or because they're not members or because they're they're visiting in, he says, you have a responsibility to them as well. Show hospitality to them. And so that that's where the, really a lot of church ministry, even on Sunday mornings, is built off Hebrews 13, 1 and 2. Yeah. It is this exhorting the Christians towards love of one another while also our Sunday gatherings, which I do think are for the Christian, have to have this opening and awareness that we need to show hospitality to those that aren't counted among us yet. And that may be the very thing God uses to bring them in. But we have both this inside and outside the church dynamic here that the other people are saying, hey, worship to God is going to be fleshed out in both these realms. Yeah, and I think that I think that's critical we understand both because I think sometimes there is an evangelistic nature that we often miss that is in loving brothers and sisters in Christ because when the Christian when when the body of Christ is loving one another well the world others see that and they go what's happening there mm-hmm. those people love each other in a very unique way we we love the stranger, the person who's outside in the, the same manner, but we can't neglect. Sometimes there can be a, in a, in a maybe a, um, a misguided zeal for evangelism. Uh, hey, I'm just going to go love the, the person who doesn't know Christ and a neglect of the, of the brothers and sisters. Those two go hand in hand That's right. because when we're going to share Christ, we want to passionately share and be inviting somebody into the community of believers and, and and it's a community thing where they come in and they are loved and they are cared for and there's an attractiveness there to the right. body of Christ. Yeah, and that's where this idea, we can just press pause on our Hebrews context going to 2018. Yeah, there, there can be such a knee-jerk reaction in church culture. Well, I don't want to be attraction. I don't want, you know, well, there's a sense of it, the attractional nature of the church that is good. Mm-hmm. It's not gimmicky. It's not a show. But here hospitality and brotherly love are attractive to those who are outside the faith and a church should be saturated that in in such a way that when people come in they do as you just said they taste something different than the world and it sparks a curiosity which hopefully leads them to repentance and faith as they hear the gospel yeah the church should be an attractive place and it should have an attractive attractional element to it what we where the danger is is when the it's a dog and pony show yeah the attractional idea becomes what we lead with and our primary prim, primary thing the church is to be for believers and the attractional part should be we love each other so well and we're we're going to love those who aren't a part of our body so well we're going to care for people so well we're going to do those things that will draw people to Christ um, it's not natural to we usually love people in our flesh to receive something from those people yeah it's it's transactional right. what can i get and the body of christ 
we don't love expecting to to receive. We love for the for the glory of God. We love for it ultimately becomes for our own good as well. But that should that will attract and draw people in when the church is functioning as the church should be functioning. So you have acceptable acts of worship, uh, brotherly love, hospitality to strangers. Uh, it's it, it, and then we're not going to deal with this, but there's nothing to say other than. The author is actually saying some of the people that have come in and out of this church have been angels mm-hmm. and that they've entertained angels without being aware of it. Yeah, I don't know how much time you want to spend in your gospel journey group talking about that, but it's a very peculiar thought that we have no reason to discount as still being applicable today. Yeah, we see, I mean, we, we the biblical example of this is Abraham. We go back and see Abraham actually entertained angels. Uh, the word angels, uh, in the Greek, it's a word that can be translated messengers as well. Um, most translations put this here as angels, right. and I believe referring not to just the idea of a general messenger, but to actually the angelic realm uh, in this context. Yeah, so if you're bored in your gospel journey this week and feel like you've learned everything that you could possibly learn, then... You can talk about, have you ever entertained an angel or not, and report back to us. Uh, That's a joke. Don't do that. Uh, Okay, and so, Steve, you already touched on remembering those who are in prison, meeting the needs. Uh, And then verse 4, let marriage marriage be held in honor among all. Now, the way in which marriage would have been under attack uh, is maybe too combative of a word. I, I don't know a better word there. And this context is different than ours uh, in some sense, but there is, it's interesting that he picks marriage as a battleground worth fighting for, as an example of an acceptable act of worship to God. And so just to spend a little bit of time on that uh, this morning is there is a place for the church to stand firm on the institution of marriage because you take all the scripture into view, Paul Paul says in Ephesians 5, the institution of marriage is the most tangible expression of Christ's relationship with the church. It is a gospel expression to the world. And if we ever uh, depart from the biblical view, which is uh, a man and woman uh, together in a monogamous relationship in which the husband serves her as Christ loves the church and she responds to that mm-hmm. in, in submission and adoration as the church should uh, uh, to Christ. When we depart from that and we go down any cultural lines of thinking, uh, there's more than just a legal union of two people at stake. Mm-hmm. Yes, and, and marriage is obviously in our culture and in our day right now a, a big issue, a redefining of marriage. Marriage is the very first uh, for lack of a better word, institution. Very first thing that God set up in yeah. Genesis, he, he created marriage, and that was his way of taking uh, man and beginning to God meet his needs through a, a woman and them come together, and they both, the idea is you sacrifice. I'm, I'm sacrificing for my wife. I live sacrificially. I'm, to, uh, I'm accountable to Christ on that, I love that it says the marriage bed is to be held in honor by all. Mm. That's all the body is to honor the marriage bed. And I think that's key because we see adultery uh, affairs are rampant in our culture. And that's right. When the entire inside and outside the church. Inside and outside the church. But when the people of the church are honoring the marriage bed, uh, not just saying 
I'm married to this woman, be faithful to her, but I'm going to help my brother do mm, the same. That's good. And that then we start to see the church function uh, more healthy in this area. This is one of the um, areas that trip more people up. Uh, yeah. And this is where we spend a lot of our time in counseling people. This is where we spend a lot of our time in uh, people battling temptations, struggling. This is a very real, tangible thing that impacts. I'd yes. venture to say most people have either firsthand or secondary. They've been impacted by this. All of us have felt this in some way, be it from a family member, a friend, personally. All uh, This is a huge way that we're to worship God is protecting the marriage bed. Yeah, it really, he lays out in four and five, it, it, and it's no different today, right? So humanity hasn't changed that much uh, over the course of time. It, it comes down to there's this there's this unique and uh, uh, persuasive power of sex and money mm-hmm. at the end of the day. And, and, and just because you're in Christ or the member of a church, you are in no way immune to those things. They can be mm-hmm. they they can uh, grip you and and take control of you and and derail you. Uh, just like they can a non-Christian. And so it's good for us to pause and do a little bit of a self-inventory here of going, man, in what ways am I drawn to, tempted by, uh, uh, feel an impulse towards uh, sex and Mm -hmm. money in Mm -hmm. ways that aren't biblically faithful ways of interacting with those things. And I'll tell you something that's really surprised me lately just about myself i mean look so growing up you know if you're you're a red-blooded male it's pretty much assumed that you are going to struggle with lust and impurity and and, and look, it's, it's the same for women too they have lust and impurity uh, uh just like men do that part of our fallen human nature is to desire things that aren't ours to to feed our flesh like those are all things that christ has to overpower and so you kind of always walk, at least I did, with an awareness of that arena. I've really been surprised just in the past year that almost out of nowhere, uh, there's this love of money, of which I don't really have much, uh, that has crept in. Mm-hmm. And I never anticipated it, never expected it. It's never been a big deal uh, uh, for me. And so this verse, and in, in even studying, preparing for this podcast, is one where I had to stop for the Lord and go, you know, I never thought this could be a pathway that I would chase, but I can see a very real scenario that if I'm not running that race of endurance that we talked about last week, mm-hmm. that I could easily get tripped up by chasing money out of discontentment and wanting more uh, out of the things this world has to offer. Yeah, and these these are two two of the big ones, as you said. You know, money, sex, power, trip people up. Those are things that we pursue, but yet our pursuit and the manifestation of them are very different. For sex, there's a, a you know, especially for men, there's a there's a physical uh, urge and drive toward it that can take over men, uh, and I think take over women too. I don't want to uh, speak to uh, one way on that, but it's it's and it's expressed in a way that is very measurable, not be word, but tangible. Mm. It, it, you know, mm. it's going on. Greed is. People can't always see that. That's right. They don't want to, I, I've I, sadly I see so many pastors who are uh, fall uh, in the area of sex. People in ministry, people That's right. uh, that happens. I don't think I've read. I, I, I can't ever think of reading a pastor or ministry who's fallen because they were in love with money. 
Mm-hmm. Does that mean they don't love money? That we don't struggle with that? No, not at all. It just means it's tangible expression is is um, more difficult and right. it's one that um, it's it's harder to confront and to deal with. That's why it's really uh, it's not about how much you have, as you said. Like, hey, you, you sort of recognize that. Right. I've recognized that in me a lot. It'll come in seasons where I'll be like, man, right now. And the way I see it is I'm thinking about money and how to deal with it, manage it, how to do all these things with it. And and it, it, it starts to be a, a thought that I'll come back. Yeah, it can dominate to, you. It, 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 it can, can affect your emotions, create anxieties, all that. Yeah, and I think, you know, for me, um, when I was single, it wasn't as, as big a thought. It, the more responsibility, the more it seems to to be a, a bigger thought, but it's there. And it's one of those things that manifests itself in our lights. And God tells us to be content with what we have. And he tells us at the end of this, he will never leave us or forsake us. And that's my hope, my delight. I'm never going to be satisfied with uh, more money. It may bring a temporary relief or something or, or, you know, a rush or something, but it's not going to satisfy my soul only Christ is. That's where we have to continually come back to is he will never leave us or forsake us. He's with us in the midst of the struggle and he is sufficient. That that sexual uh, immorality, not going to satisfy you. Uh, More money, not going to satisfy you. God is the only thing that will satisfy our soul. So we have to keep coming back to him because he says what? He's our helper. I'm not going to fear. What can man do to me? God is enough. God is enough. And the counterintuitive thing to this money deal too is you can be dirt poor and love money and you can be incredibly rich and be free from the love of money. It's like things aren't synonymous. You know what I mean? And the way you mentioned pastors and ministry, not strong love of money. Well, part of that is sometimes uh, people will just sanitize this by saying, well, God's blessing on my life is synonymous with making me rich Mm -hmm. and, uh, that's so out of line with scripture. We're not going to chase that this morning, but that is a love of money that's been sanitized by twisting the Bible to fit your desire to, to either use the church or use people so that you become rich yourself. And so where that should be called out is sin. It can be sanitized and said, well, this is just God's, you know, the more faithful I am to God, the more material wealth he gives me, uh, which is a very real false gospel. Um, all right, to, uh, another big idea in 13, Steve, just to, yep. to transition and move us along. We find it in verse 7, and again in 17, he's going to mention their leaders. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I think if we take the weight of biblical evidence, uh, we can pr- presume safely that, that we can make leaders synonymous with what we know as elder Yes. here. Uh, and he says a couple things about that. He says, remember, so draw them to mind. Uh, your leaders who who primarily did two things, taught them the word of God and modeled the word of God with their lives, uh, which are, are two things we see in Paul's qualifications for an elder. You need to be able to teach, not to have a gift of teaching, but you need to be able to teach people the word of God. But your life and conduct must be congruent with the very thing that you're teaching. But not only that, and this is where I'd like to spend a little time with you this morning, Steve, to go to 17, mm-hmm. so 7 and 17, where he mentioned his leaders again, obey, we 
don't like that word in our 2018 sensibilities. Uh, we could say yield to, respect the authority of your leaders and submit to them for, and here's why. It doesn't say because they're super powerful. It doesn't say because they're better than you. It says, this is the reason why. It says because they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy, not with groaning, for that would be no advantage to you. Uh, eldering, when biblically considered, at the end of the day, is a group of men over a committed body of believers. And in the back or forefront of that elder's mind is, I am accountable to God for the members of this local church and how I'm shepherding their souls. And this is two, This is kind of two points on the same blade here. Uh, uh, this is a two-way relationship. So if you're not underneath the leadership of elders in a local church, you have to answer, how is verse 17 true for me? Mm-hmm. Who is accountable to God for my souls? Well, it can't be just your buddy. The Bible doesn't say your buddy is accountable to God for your soul. It doesn't say the, the podcast you listen to on Sunday morning. It doesn't even say your small group leader. It says your ability uh, considered your elder. And so you have to say, who is responsible to God for the shepherding of my soul? And if you can't answer that question, then there's an alignment that needs to happen for you with New Testament Christianity. But at the same time, an elder isn't saying, you know, you know I'm just here to, to, to rule this power. You know, first Peter five is it's, he's saying, no, I, the primary role is I've got to give an account to God for So it's this two way relationship that's mutual and God glorifying when it's played out in the proper way. Yeah. I, you know, it, scripture talks about desiring leadership and, and I don't think there's anything wrong with a person and the body desiring to be an elder. The question is, why are they desiring it? What are they wanting that for? And for me, this was a verse uh, when we first started as a church and we, we set up elders that, that I just con, uh, put to memory because it was one that for me, it wasn't the idea of like people obeying elders so much, although, you know, because I'm not look, looking for that. What I was, if I'm going to watch over people's souls, what type of accountability that does that require? And there are seasons. And that's a weighty thing. It's so weighty. And there's seasons also where I'll look and I'll feel a uh, burden or, or heavy and I'll go, I just need to. Uh, take a break or this won't feel as joyous. And I continually come back to, there's to be a joy in this. There's not to be a groaning in this, but for the people of the body to to be able to submit to elders in a very healthy way, realizing that, uh, and it's not always, is, is everything that they do perfect or do we agree with everything they say or, uh, but are the elders pursuing Christ and the word of God right. and, caring for and meeting the needs. So many elders groups and churches, as we talk to a lot of churches, it seemed like they operated more as administrative board. Mm-hmm. And you ended up a lot of times people that were very gifted with organization, administration, and those sorts of things. Whereas eldering, the primary thing we get from scripture is not the administration of the church, though I do believe that's an aspect. I think the primary thing is watch over the souls of the people within the church and that's a right. care for them and a love for them. Uh, that's why we, when people join the church, we do an interview with them and we meet with them to, we're saying based on their testimony, do they profess Christ? Because when you're joining a church, you're joining a local expression of that body. But this is a, a, a heavy verse for someone who's an elder. It's, 
counterintuitive for our culture. Uh, we don't like to, uh, that word submit, it's sort of a, a dirty word yeah, right. in that's, our culture. That's the new S word. Yes, it is the new, the new S word. People don't like it. Um, but again, the, the idea just in marriage, um, I've always said it, Margaret should never have a difficult time following me if I'm leading how Christ would have me lead her. That's right. And I believe the church should not have a difficult time following their elders if the elders are leading in a, a Christ-like way. Now, will there be exceptions at times? Obviously so. But by and large, uh, the church should look and say, we trust that these men are seeking Christ first on all these things and seeking our good, the good of this body, in making these decisions. Yeah, and if we just take the idea of submission and define it as a tangible expression of trust, that's what this passage is calling to, just trust in the leadership over you. And if you can't, then either A, maybe that church has gone wayward. I don't think that's true of us at Harvest. Mm-hmm. But, but but if you really find yourself saying, I just can't trust, it may be fine, time to to meet with your church and discuss you moving along to another body where you feel more confident in the leadership above you. I will say this, that, and just to drill down a little bit, just remembering when I was pastoring and eldering in, in, in Austin, look, there's a very real essence to, you know, part B of verse 17 and letting your elders do this with joy and not with groaning, uh, to, to get down at the, the, the ground level here there's some things that call cause I think legitimate groaning at the leadership level mm-hmm. of a church. And this is an exhortation you know, to our gospel journey groups and our church members. And, and look, our leadership l- loves our members, wants to care for our members, wants to do the best possible job at, at what, what would be, what, what's really helpful. And I speak as a church member, not an elder uh, uh, to other lay people is there's going to be things at harvest, take our context that you may wish is done differently. You may wish was expressed differently. And what I'm going to challenge us towards is going, is that a true need? Or is that something that's truly out of line biblically? Or is it a preference? Mm -hmm. And one way to create groaning amongst our uh, eldering leadership is if we just inundate them with maybe more petty personal preferences, uh, we don't come to the church having every one of our preferential itches scratched, whether it's style of worship, whether it's signage, whether it's kids check in, whether it's, you know what, like these are preferential things. These aren't biblically aligned things. And so what I would just ask us to do is always prayerfully consider before the Lord, are we bringing true needs before the elders or are these preferential things that maybe we need to do business with God and and move on from and not raise them to the level that they really don't need to be raised to. Yeah, knowing knowing uh, what are the majors and what are sort of the minors, what are the things that we say, I wish it were done this way. If I were in charge, here's how I would do it. Right. Well, part of our trust of the Lord is going, for some reason, God has placed um, this group in charge, and this is the way that they've decided to lead. And it's not, um, it's, it's a preferential thing. One of the big things in the body that believers are to be is not divisive. That's right. Several times we're commanded not to be divisive. Now, I think uh, here he starts to talk uh, in verse 9, you know, about being led astray by diverse teachings. Mm. Those are things that when we see teaching that is in error, 
That's a big deal. That's a big deal. That's right. Um, when we see that, hey, um, I wish the, the the music were more like this, or I wish we um, had people working in the parking lot to greet everybody, or those sort of things. Those are preferences. Not bad. Not not even bad things. No. But like you're saying, those are preferential things. Yeah. Um, I think that uh, maybe a good way to close out chapter 13, Steve, is just by reading this benediction and talking about it for a couple minutes here. Uh, this doxology of sorts in verses 20 through 21. Uh, now keep in mind, he has just written... Uh, all of these words of this church that is under persecution, it's struggling, members of it are leaving the faith, he's exhorting them not to leave the faith, and the final words of any book of Scripture, we need to weigh heavily. This is the author's <laughs> closing line, uh, and he says, Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, uh, just to pause there, he ends this letter with the central truth uh, on which every single thing else hangs. If Jesus did not raise from the dead, nothing he's written up to this point matters in any way, shape, or form. Mm -hmm. And so just a reminder that as a Christian, what we confess and believe is Jesus literally and physically walked out of that grave on what we celebrate as Easter morning. And that's what he's drawing them back to here. Every single thing hinges on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, The great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, May he equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Any closing thoughts on the way that he uh, winds this letter down? Yeah, he's he's speaking to his audience here, to uh, Hebrew people who understand, uh, have a basis in the Old Testament. And he's bringing in Christ, who is the shepherd of the sheep. And for the Jewish mindset, you think of a sheep, one of the primary things you think of is that sacrificial lamb. Mm. And his blood is of an eternal covenant. So this idea of who Christ is, that he's our sacrifice, he brings us right back to it. So after giving these practical, here's how you live out what you believe, he brings us right back in this benediction. That's right. And this, this is a beautiful, powerful benediction. There's so much rich theology in it that he is the one who equips us to do everything that is good in and of ourselves i can do no good it's god who works through me that can bring about that which is truly uh good uh, that he can work his will in and through us that's for his glory god allows us by his grace uh, to participate and be a part of what he's doing for his own fame his own name for his glory and this just reminds us of that that his working through us it's pleasing in his sight to work through us through Christ. I mean, it's just a glorious ending. And it even says that glory forever to him. Beautiful. I love it. Yeah. Amen. Hey, we hope that this uh, path, the gospel journey path through the book of Hebrews has been a blessing uh, to each of you. And and we do pray that the fruit that will come from your time uh, in relationship with one another and time around God's word will be continued to be manifested uh, and multiplied here at the Body of Harvest and and beyond to the glory of Christ.